Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We're going to bring you on to our huddle. You are in Norris Huddle with me, Bram, no Marcus, or Maxime today. But I'm fired up to announce the rejoining after way too long, the former Golden State B-Rider for the Bay Area News Group, who covered the rise of a dynasty, a high-profile sports author who has contributed to more media outlets than I can list, including Fox Sports Radio, Spectrum Sports Net Television, and Sports Kita, a key member to a wedding table that will go down in history and a graffiti artist who has terrorized the L.A. streets for years, Mr. Mark Medina. What's going on, Mark? Bram, shout out to Table 9. Long live Table 9. Table 9 for life. So here, let the record reflect. I had a Mike Medina joke already. I mean, it's right here. It's, it's like literally in my notes. But what you don't know is maybe two days ago, did a podcast and just flubbed uh, Mo Bucket's name so badly, so badly that we've gotten all this feedback. People like, oh, how how could you even like host a warrior show without knowing his fucking name? Meanwhile, Mo's been on this show, but it's <laughs> left me so scarred, Mark, that I just couldn't even make a name joke, dude. I just left it to the side. So it is what it is, man. Well, Brian Hillsman, you are the best host, much better than Bram. So I'm glad uh, I'm glad I'm joining you today. You can fuck yourself and don't make me call you Marizi, which is like what I call Mr. Spence. So, I mean, again, I, I'm not proud of what happened so much. So let's fire forward here, man. So I've been anxious to talk to you today. You had a badass piece where you interviewed Bruce Frazier and found out all about my brand new favorite player, Chris Paul. So we needed to have you in and explore that article. But before we get there, glass half full. You'll remember this. When we looking back, we're giving things either we like or don't like about Warriors Hoop. And we haven't gotten to speak to you since the uh, the ball started flying in earnest here. So what do you got, man? What are you thinking about Warriors Hoop so far? Well, I think it's more than glass half full. I'll just put it almost nearly full. Maybe not completely full because they're not undefeated, but there's a lot of things to like about the Warriors. They're playing really well, obviously. Uh, they're coming off a loss to the Denver Nuggets, but even that loss, there's a lot of good performances. Um, two, Steph Curry, he's on pace uh, to replicate his other great seasons that could yield a third MVP season. Chris Paul's fit really well with this assisted turnover ratio. Uh, his locker room fit, uh, the way he runs the offense, you could look at him as an early favorite to win sixth man of the year. And I think just their overall team chemistry, it, it is the Warriors culture from top to bottom. And I know that the Warriors, they don't like how we keep bringing up last season. They don't like how Draymond Green's bringing up last season. But no doubt uh, the, the chemistry is much better. And it's not just because of Draymond punching Jordan Poole in training camp. I think it's just more the fact that there's uh, you know more veterans on the team. They're refreshed from, you know, a shortened playoff uh, experience of what they're used to. And, you know, so far, so good. I'm going to start practicing what I preach. 
So I have been bitching off air about how many times Draymond has brought up the Jordan Poe thing, you know? And so today, this is the big bright line. This will be the last time I talk about last year's chemistry because it's a little weird, you know? Like when, if, if you have a nasty breakup, but then get involved in a new relationship and the new relationship's going really well, you can bring up the old relationship, but I don't know how many times before it gets weird, you know, by like the first time, fine. Fifth, sixth, seventh time, it gets a little strange. Like, why are you still thinking about that? So I'm out, Mark. I am moving forward. Um, I'll be a little bit more specific. Yeah, because these guys have heard my takes overall on the team. Uh, what do I like about recent basketball? Moody and his development, man. Almost everything. His demeanor and his play have both really impressed in the early season. And it's almost as if he sat down, watched tape, met with the coaching staff, and then found out, what do I need to do to contribute to this team? Not to my game, but what do you need from my game for me to be a, a key contributor? And he realized, you know, be competent with the corner three. Step into the passing lanes. Be someone whom we can rely on in short spurts. And he's developed every night. And so, you know, I have become really enamored in the sexy upside of JK. And I'm still there. You know, what he can become really entertains me. But who Modi is right now needs to be praised, man, because it's a giant piece for what we need. Another thing I like, the Warriors heart. Mark, they had every fucking excuse to give up last night. Everyone. The the eighth game on the road in eighth cities, they had already had a successful road trip. They're missing Draymond. They're missing GP2. And Denver comes out. I think the Warriors scored the first bucket, and then Denver scored the next 11 points. And that was true throughout the night. They had so many reasons to just call it, go home, you know, pick up the pieces. And they didn't. Uh, this dates me a little bit, but there's an old Looney Tunes cartoon with Pepe Le Pew. And really, it, it involves a skunk who falls in love with a cat and he spends the entire episode chasing this cat. And it doesn't matter how fast or slow or where this cat goes through the ocean, atop seas, wherever the hell they go. Every single time the cat looks back, Pepe Le Pew is right behind, never rushing, always there. That was the Warriors last night. And had they not been fucked by a terrible goaltending call, it would have been a win. But here's where I need your objectivity. All right. So, I'm going to share my screen here with you. We're going to be looking at a highlighted play. This took place in the fourth quarter just last night, Mark. Um, I'm hoping you're looking at my screen. Can you see the uh, the highlight here? This is a no-call goaltending play. Last night, there's Steph. Boom. All right. So from my eyes, Steph seemingly lays it up. It goes off the backboard first and then is rejected by Aaron Gordon. Here's that play one more time so that uh, you can see it in earnest. All right. That played. What's your take? Give me a non-biased opinion. Goaltending or not? Well, first of all, I got I to gotta give you some, you know what, uh, about how you framed the question because you're sharing a screen of a video with a caption that very much is leading the witness saying this game should be tied. But objectively, I will agree. Yes, that should have been a goaltending call. Um, and I'm with you that the Denver Nuggets, philosophically, big picture, they've shown that they haven't really missed much of a beat from uh, last season's championship run. Everyone seems motivated. Everyone, with the exception of Jamal Murray, is healthy. They're playing at a high level. But, you know, uh, they could have been vulnerable because Jamal Murray's out. He's a yeah. key cog 
to that offense, and particularly in crunch time, they go down to that Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic two-man game, and obviously he wasn't there. But uh, look, you can counter with the fact that the Warriors didn't have Draymond Green. They didn't have GP2. Steph Curry didn't have the greatest start to the game, but didn't matter. He still played well otherwise. Um, and that goaltending call should have been a goaltend. If if I'm on the rules committee, so I mean, you know, this is straightforward 2020 hindsight homerism. I mean, I, I understand what I'm doing. But if I have any critique, so if it, you know, bang, bang, play, anybody can make a mistake. Who knows the ref's angle on that and it was off. If I have any critique on it, why the hell are you allowed to review things like block charge, but not allowed to review things like goaltending until the last two minutes? Goaltending, it's, it's literally points on the board. If there is anything, if I was going to come up with a list of things we have to review, like if that, there's some brainstorming session the league session had. Like, okay, we're going to do review, but we don't want to do it all the time because it's going to slow down the broadcast. What should we allow? The first thing that should have been out there is goaltending. It's bananas that that's a play that just has to stand while others do have the opportunity to make sure they get right. Uh, you can tell I've been perseverating on this, dude. It's been 24 hours. I'm still furious. Yeah, well, look, I share your grievances big picture with this. Um, for someone that doesn't root for interest in results, I, I root for quality games and good competition. Yeah, there you go. That's the thing that gr grinds my gears when it comes to you know, what can be reviewed is exactly what you said, that there's a discrepancy. Anything that can determine the outcome of a game in the last two minutes should be reviewable, number one. But number two, one of the things that's a criteria for what's a well-officiated game isn't just a matter of whether they're making the right call or not. It's about ensuring the flow of the game, sure. quality. Yep. And because of that, they need to review plays in a much more efficient manner. It is just so mind-boggling, yep. whether you're at the arena or you're watching on TV, that they're taking so long just to review the play. And, yep. you know, look at multiple monitors that are getting multiple witnesses, like watch it once and then make a call. So no, you're right. you got to I mean, change both of those things. It's a television show. I mean, push comes to shove at the end of the day, this is a television show. When you watch other television shows, are there long periods where nothing's happening? You know, <laughs> where you're like, I wonder what the characters are going to do next. Let's sit here and wait for another two to three minutes while they do nothing. No, that does not go down. And so you're right. You know, they do have to streamline it. I'm not sure if they needed to streamline it with a goaltending, uh, you know, lack of review, but I digress. Um, all right. Me to this podcast, man. I have got to hear about your opinions and what Bruce Frazier told you about CP3. You just wrote a badass article for Sports Kita, but I'm going to change how we normally do this. All right. So most of the time, when I've got an article like this, I'll basically just read it to the audience. I'll, I'll pull it, pull big quotes, run them by you, and then, you know, off we'll go. But I've realized in getting ready for this, that eliminates what I find to be the most important thing, your opinion. All I'm doing is giving you the subject's opinion. So I'm going to do it different today. Yeah, went back through it. I pulled the questions you asked Bruce Frazier. And what I want to do is hear what Bruce told you. I mean, we'll, we'll run that through you. But I also want your opinion on what you asked Bruce Frazier. Okay. Before I give you a question, here's my first follow-up on the article. Did you bring up the nickname, Funky Comedina, to Bruce? Uh, because, and then for, for those who haven't heard past episodes, Mark shared with us that Bruce Frazier, who is you know the head assistant coach on the Warriors, has a relationship with Mark and gave him a nickname, Funky Comedina. Mark, if that's me, and I hadn't seen Bruce for a while, I don't know how, but I bring it up somewhere early to kind of remind him like, Oh, you know, we've got this history to like, we're, we're kind of, so at, at any point, did you make fun of the nickname? Did you try to reference it? Like, how, how does that work? 
Well, it's funny that you asked that. Um, I never bring it up. He always brings it up. He often calls me that nickname. Now, there is a disclaimer in this Q&A, as with other Q&As, that it's always edited for condensed condensed purposes, accuracy purposes. I edited out those references. And sometimes when he was answering questions, he's called me Funky Cole. But I think the biggest thing that I had to edit out because it's not relevant to the discussion. I didn't want to look like it's self-promoting is that I brought up the, uh, the, the conversation that Anthony Slater from the athletic captured on video following the first training camp practice where, you know, Steph Curry and Chris Paul and Bruce Frazier are, are huddling up and, and we're thinking, okay, what are they discussing meeting the minds afterwards they're doing drills. And so uh, the first part of that question, well, I asked him what was discussed there and the part that I edited out for obvious reasons, he was joking. Yeah, what we were what we were discussing is we had a debate. Is Funky Cole Medina the best nickname ever? And we all came to the unanimous agreement that it is. I deleted that because it was more important the other things he was talking about. Do you include it in the copy you give to the editor? I, like, I so did yes, not include it. Not at all? Are you saying? Because I 100% would. <laughs> so I get why you wouldn't want to do it for the audience. But I would want my editor to see, like, oh, I don't know if you knew I had this really close relationship with this guy. Like, up to you if you want to edit it out. But it, it is, in fact, there. Uh, I, I edited it out. You, uh, the, the good thing about these Q&As, they, they don't uh, – you can go in depth, but anytime you can trim the fat, you do. And I figured that's a part to Trump. <laughs> and if we ever have Bruce Frazier on here, I will ask about the nickname just to make myself seem important. So don't think I'm above any of that. Um, take us a step back. So, and people who listen to this show already know, but let's just make sure who is Bruce Frazier on the Warrior staff. Yeah. Warriors assistant coach. Uh, he's best friends with Steve Kerr. They have a history together being at university of Arizona. Um, his role specifically, I mean, he has a lot of different hats and he helps with the offensive side of things. But as it pertains to the team, he he has worked historically the most with Steph Curry when it comes to his shooting routine, his pregame routine. He's been doing that with Chris Paul. And so I thought because of that, he would uh, offer a really good lens on just how that dynamic's been. And I thought that he was uh, pretty candid with it. And I think the... the the most fascinating part with him that he revealed, specifically with Chris Paul, was that uh, he he confirmed what we've already thought that he's a great fit. But the way he's fit, he's gone about it is that he's been about trying to fit in with the team rather than say, "Hey, I'm Chris Paul, future Hall of Famer. Let me come in with all my ideas." So I think that the, the best quote that he gave to me was what he, what he said here he said he wants to seek knowledge with the way he with the way we do things he's also a really good resource for knowledge because of his tenure in the league he offers suggestions he's not afraid to do that but he's not over the top and so i think that that contradicts some of the images and impressions that warrior fans and general nba fans have had of chris paul of this annoying you know over overly involved leader in the locker room. And yep. here it's been the opposite. He's been all in with fitting in while also finding ways uh, subtly to uh, lend his expertise and suggestions while also deferring to everyone else. I love, so it, that is a thing that I was hoping to praise to hear it from the most of the inner circles, you know, is, is exceptionally 
encouraging. And I, I think I saw a quote somewhere from Looney saying that he he started talking to Chris Paul about like, well, you know, why don't we start running more pick roll or pick and rolls? Because that's what the Warriors are supposedly missing. And that's what Chris Paul has done historically. And Chris Paul's answer was, no, no, no. I'm here to do what you guys do, you know, not yeah. dictate my own style of play. Yeah, it's funny you bring that up. That was a uh, conversation I had with Kevon Looney during training camp um, where I did a piece on Chris Paul and just the feeling going into the season, okay, is this going to work? And Kevon Looney was telling me that. The other thing that Kevon Looney was telling me, and this was Like you said, it's funny that I brought that up. Come on, Mark. We both know that I knew where the fuck I pulled that from and had it here in my notes, dude. I know know who we gave the quote to. Go ahead. What were you going to say? But but, but on top of that, uh, the interesting thing wasn't just that quote, but this was that preseason game in LA where, I mean, it's preseason, so who cares? But there are a lot of turnovers. Chris Paul had his fair share of them. And Kevon Looney was was sharing with me that throughout practices and scrimmages, Chris Paul's like always being like, hey, my bad, my bad. Like he's not like getting on guys and yelling at them for mistakes. He very much had that energy of I'm the new guy. I want to fit in. And there wasn't there. There was some over eagerness to it, but it was also good over eagerness. And now he's settled in uh, with exception of that season opening loss against Phoenix. His assist to turnover ratio is just off the charts. And I think that this just this is telling that he has been such a net positive that his lack of scoring and his poor shooting to uh, to open the season hasn't really mattered at all yep. because A, Steph's playing at a high level, but B, his presence, particularly with the second unit, has been just so positive everywhere else that ha- that his shooting has been almost this afterthought. Mark, my my assumption with the Warriors, especially during the dynastic run, is they're a jump shooting team, right? I mean, that's how we view them. They they hit threes. And if you had told me that Chris Paul was going to shoot under 10% from three-point land, you know, well, that's a big problem on an offense that seemingly revolves around the three. But every time he's at the scorer's table, I'm pumping my fist. I couldn't be. <laughs> at, and so it, it's a testament to how, you know, yes, of course, his shooting has not gotten where we expect it to be, and it will. But he's been so good in these other areas. Someone who is shooting less than 10% in the area I identify as the Warriors-like thing they need to succeed in, I'm still super happy he comes in. Uh, And so here, let let me get to some of these questions that you asked, Bruce. But let me also add one more, just kind of a follow-up to what you said. Uh, I have not been to anywhere near the amount of practices that you have, but I'm lucky enough to go to a few. And my understanding is, the media doesn't get to see really the team practicing them, them working on their sets, them doing their things together. That happens all before or behind closed doors. But then when the media comes in and the doors are opened, those are the individual workouts. And now those individual workouts happen with specific coaches. Players develop specific routines with specific people. The person who has developed Steph's routine throughout this dynasty is Bruce Frazier. And now Bruce is doing that for Chris Paul. So if you were going to look to someone on the coaching staff, not named Steve Kerr, about what their impact would be, it would be fucking Bruce Frazier, you know? So that's why this really spoke to me, Um, which perfect setup. Let's jump in here, man. You asked Coach Frazier how Steph and uh, Chris can elevate each other's games. Here's how you put that quote. Philosophically, what's your outlook on how Steph and Chris can help each other's games and increase their chances of staying healthy? What did he tell you? Well, he, he told me a few things. One, it's about making each other's job easier, um, that there's a new wrinkle in the offense wh- when they're playing together, number one. So Steph can move off the ball. Chris can move off the ball. They can blend 
their ball movement with Chris, and Chris can incorporate some pick and rolls. But now, obviously, Steve Kerr has been mostly uh, playing Chris Paul in the second unit. So it's the idea that when they go to those non-Steph minutes, they don't have to have this feeling that, uh-oh, we're going to wet the bed. And yeah. that was a huge problem in recent seasons, that leads would be squandered or if they would be trailing by a few points, all of a sudden they're trailing by double-digit points. Um, and then I think the other thing is that it's going to lighten their workload. You know, Steph doesn't have to play as many minutes now. He's still in his prime. He hasn't had major injuries, but it's more the idea that this could buy, you know, yep. extra time on his career. And then as it pertains to Chris Paul, look, I was one of one of the skeptics with this trade, not because of the fit, but more of the health. And one of the things that the Warriors are really optimistic on was that even though I think the Suns, they have a good training staff, but because of more of their roster setup, that they felt that they could conserve Chris mm. Paul a lot more to keep him healthy for when they need him in the postseason. And so I think that that's the other outlook here. Um, so, yeah, it, it's win-win across the board. And while the, these are early season takeaways and things are subject to change, I think even though Chris has a buy-in and everyone has a buy-in, there's going to be the natural competitive challenges of, okay, in high-stakes games, yep. how do they deal with not being part of closing lineups? Those are all tactical challenges. I think from just attitude challenges and buy-in challenges, it's there. So even though this is very early and everything could change, I think Warrior fans should be mostly encouraged uh, that this fit is going to work. You know, assuming, and I'll knock on wood with this bookshelf for them, that you know everyone is able to stay reasonably healthy. Of course. Um, it sounds like you already bled in some of your own insights. You know, that that's in addition to Frazier's. But I, I, yeah. from eight games, yeah, thumbs up on this pairing. I mean, with the just just from what you've seen uh, thus far, are you impressed or was this the right call? Yeah, thumbs up. Um, and it's uh, relatively exceeded my expectations. I think when St when Chris Paul had that initial answer about coming off the bench and he gave the infamous you coach in line, um, knowing how Chris is from covering him through different segments of his career, I took it as that he was looking at that question literally, that why would he voluntarily demote himself until necessary? Um, but I so I think that he was gonna have a buy-in, but I thought that there would be some natural good and well-intentioned growing pains of how do they figure out from both parties, from both the Warriors and him, just the chemistry and all those things. But it's been very seamless. Um, so yeah, it's it's exceeded my expectations. And I will have to admit, Bram, I've been I often watch Warrior games thinking about your reactions. But I've especially been watching Warrior Games, thinking about your reactions on how you deal with these inner contradictions when you're viewing Chris Paul. Yeah, so, I mean, here's where, and here's where I'm coming from. Lay it out to me. Tell me what's fact or fiction. I imagine when you've been watching Chris Paul in other seasons, when you've uh, seen him play really well at the beginning of the season, you kind of roll your eyes and sneer like, okay, empty regular season wins. He's going to wear down in the playoffs when it matters. And now you're like, wow, like what a great Hall of Fame player. He's really going to help us in the playoffs. Uh, example number two, when he's. Well, uh, hold on before we go to the first one. 
Example number one, I feel like you are reading my fucking diary. Okay. It is as if you are in that living room with me. It went from who cares what he does in November, right? You know, like all, all I care about, will he be on the floor come April? Now, these November accomplishments couldn't be understated or couldn't be overstated. Like it is the most important thing I've ever seen. He's fixed the culture. Uh, I'll have you know, Mark. So yes, point number one, absolutely. You're right. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Okay, three more points. Uh, point number two, <laughs> when he's gone through stretches uh, as an opponent, when he hasn't scored the ball uh, a lot or his shooting percentage is down, but he's doing these intangibles, as an opponent, you're thinking, this guy's washed up. Like, why is he to retire? And now you're like, hey, Chris Paul, he's still uh, helping with the little things. He's still providing locker room leadership, et cetera. That is worse, worse than that, okay? Before he was on the team, I didn't call him washed. I, those intangibles, I called him a cheater. I was like, you know, like, why are you drawing fouls? That's so soft. How about you just play the game? Now he's the smartest player I think I've ever watched. And he is using his veteran guile to help my team negotiate an early season oh, oh, stretch. That, that's funny because that, I was about to bring up point number three. Point number three was <laughs> when he would uh, have a questionable some may say dirty play or being uh, very literal with the rule book or drawing a charge or doing something weird. You would say, this guy's annoying AF. What a dirty player. Now, I imagined when we saw Chris Paul draw a charge on Kevin Durant or kick the ball out of bounds when the Warriors are playing the Kings, you were thinking, man, like what a smart vet who knows the rule book. I don't know if I've ever been seen the way I'm being seen right now. This is this is making me really happy. I'll, I'll weaponize that for you. Um, in a preseason game against Sacramento, they needed quick points without taking time off the clock. And so on three straight possessions, Chris, uh, let's say, draws a foul in creative fucking fashion. And on the third, it upsets De'Aaron Fox, who does the same body flipping motion I have been doing for decades of watching CP3. And when he did it, I screamed, too bad for you, Fox. Why don't you stop fouling him? <laughs> so uh, I am a hundred, uh, uh, all the way on the other side. I have completely betrayed, like, Pass Bram would be disgusted with current Bram. But Pass Bram didn't know what the fuck he was talking about, Mark. So, you know, it is what it is. Well, how about this? Last point, uh, when you would hear things about, especially this first year with the team, he's really holding guys accountable. He's being a good leader. You hear quotes from DeAndre Aiden or Devin Booker or Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, James Harden, you know, really touting how he's really holding them accountable. You're thinking, you know what? These guys all think he's an asshole. Like F this guy. Now, when you're hearing those quotes from the, the Warriors, young guys, you're thinking, wow, like he's really helping these guys. Their development's going to go through the roof. <laughs> I like Chris Paul so much. It's making me rethink my relationship with Mike Dunley, which is like not something I thought, <laughs> 
was possible in any way, shape, or form. Executive Mark. of the year, too early. I mean, at least I want to review. I'm going to go watch some game film of him. I think maybe he was a much better player here than I previously yeah, remember. Underrated so, draft pick, to say the least. I, I see exactly right, dude. Exactly right. We just didn't understand how he uh, how he gained value for this team. Um, phenomenal. Just phenomenal read. You know, there's there's a reason why you are the reporter that you are. But I'm not done asking you the shit that you asked Bruce, because here's another one I wanted to get your opinion on. You asked Bruce if he had seen signs. So we you and I just explained a bunch of things we're seeing. If he had seen signs of their early success so far, what do you tell you? Well, uh the one thing, the the one example he brought up about the observations that I shared about Chris Paul, that was another sign. The other thing that gave him some comfort level was that uh, even going into training camp that CP and Steph had already worked out together a lot. Now, I was trying to get specifics on what those workouts look like. Uh, he didn't share too many specifics other than X's and O's specifics where you know, that they're doing a lot of, you know, off ball action and pistol action, a lot of different plays where this is the Warriors playbook of a lot of, you know, ball movement, heavy sets, yep. but that Chris was doing a lot of things on his own. So those were things again, before training camp that he said that Steph Curry and Chris Paul were doing well ahead of time. And so that was, uh, you know, that gave Bruce um, some comfort level that this is going to work. And then the early season, returns that right. you know since the turnover ratio is down they're winning he's buying into his role uh and that the young guys are really you know gravitating to him one of the things that he stressed to me is that you know he knew that my interest was primarily on the steph cp dynamic but he was stressing that look cp's dynamic with clay has been really positive the young guys have been really positive all for different reasons uh, but the common denominator with why it's also been positive with Steph is that he's been very complimentary as far as his style of play around those players. And it's all about making them comfortable. And I think that historically, the thing that we have to keep in mind for Warrior fans that may have rolled, you know, joined you about rolling their eyes about his impact on teams and leadership is that there's no disputing that his first year results with teams were always positive from both a production standpoint and locker room impact standpoint. And I think yeah. the other positive thing that pertains to the Warriors is that this team is more veteran laden and the young guys seem very receptive yep. to feedback from veterans where historically when Chris Paul would ruffle teammates the wrong way, uh, you also have to sometimes consider the source of who those players were, right? Where they were young players or they were players that didn't have the best reputations of being worried about the right things. And these guys are all competitive, but historically DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin, they didn't always take kindly to tough coaching. Right. Same thing with James Harden, same thing with DeAndre Ayton uh, and Devin Booker uh, and Shea Gilgis Alexander from Oklahoma city. Those are the players that always embraced what Chris Paul was about. And they've had a pretty good track record of their career so far. It makes sense. Uh, and it made me think of, and I was just looking it up, another answer you got from him. Um, so the question he asked him, even when considering his body of work, how has Chris's assist to turnover ratio been so damn good considering he's just starting with a new team? And then Fraser's answer, he has really good shooters to throw the ball to. He's yeah. really good at doing it. And I, I mean, like, what a simplistic 
but absolutely on the money read, you know, that these are veterans who likes it. And it made me think there's a quote from Austin Rivers from his podcast. And it's before the game started, but they asked him, you know, what do you think? Will there be a problem? Well, will CP3 fit in? And he said, of course not. He said, what CP3 specializes in doing is getting the ball to dudes you like to shoot. And what Golden State specializes in having is dudes who like to shoot, you know? And like, we're now seeing those two Lego pieces fit right together. So yeah, it makes perfect sense, man. Yeah, and the other thing with this, um, it was different context, but I remember talking to Chris uh, before the Suns playoffs started last season, and he was stressing to me that historically he feels like he's one of the easiest teammates to play with. And that huh. you might think, really? Like, because he has this reputation of being this demanding guy, but he was talking about X's and O's role, uh, his role. Like, he is not a guy that needs shots, needs mm-hmm. to score. He is the conductor of things. And so, uh, you know, that context was the Suns getting Kevin Durant, him playing more off the ball. And I think that that, that's the big thing. And the only concern this season for him that's always been prevalent is his health. Of course. But when it comes to his role, like he's going to fit in everywhere. And the only players that aren't going to play well with them are ones that don't take kindly to accountability but the good thing with the Warriors is that's what their whole culture is about. I think the thing, and you know this, obviously being a Warrior fan to follow the team, but there is sometimes this misperception that the Warriors' like culture of joy, so to speak, is just about everyone being happy and whatever and mm-hmm. Steve Kerr being kumbaya. And it's like, well, yes and no. He likes having that positive work environment, but it also comes from having a work environment full of workers. Yep. And so that very much is in line with what Chris Paul is about. He is a guy that works, and he, when he joins something, he is all about going all in. And so that very much is in line with what Warriors culture is all about. I love that read. All right, so give it to me straight, Mark. Temper my expectations if I need to. Um, you've seen them. Um, I am now, I entered this season thinking that the Warriors would be a part a step down from the top two contenders, you know, that we got the Boston's and then probably Milwaukee, although they've, they may have played themselves out of that. And then we got the Denver's, the people who like, okay, Vegas, easy money. That's probably where you're going to go. And then there's a second group of teams who, who might make it. And the Warriors were firmly entrenched in that second group. Now that I've watched them play as t- tough as they did against Denver and show that they have grit on the road already. And Steph looks to be an MVP candidate and CP three looks to be a six man candidate. I'm starting to believe maybe they're at the back end of that first category. Um, but help, you know, what, what are you seeing? How do you view the Warriors' contention? Well, nothing's fundamentally changed since the season started for me. But what has changed is the possible order of things. But the second part, that can be all fluid. So here's what I mean. Going into the season, I thought that there were uh, a f- only a few realistic championship contenders. Milwaukee Bucks, Boston Celtics in the East, in the West, Denver Nuggets, Phoenix Suns, Golden State Warriors, and the Lakers from the Western Conference. Since then, I'd add the Clippers because of James Harden, not not put them as a favorite, but like they have a chance. But here's where the Warriors can get some separation based off of the dynamic of the team and the early results. Since the season starts – I still have Boston up there. I still have Denver up there because they have a lot of talent. They have a lot of continuity. But when you're looking at Milwaukee, you're looking at Phoenix and the Lakers and Clippers, 
there's all a lot of potential turbulence because they have a lot of top uh yeah you know and talent and a lot of question marks sure. about durability and fit and the warriors they don't have those concerns and so with that i don't put them as a favorite above um boston or denver but there's certainly a pathway for them to do that yeah. part of it is external with everyone's health but most of it's internal of can they make the best of their cards of the obvious yeah. championship core with Steph, Draymond, and Clay, but also, you know, how well the integration process with Chris Paul is and how, you know, much everyone else uh, as part of their cast is with Andrew Wiggins playing more consistently, Clay Thompson playing at least a better version than what he showed, you know, in the playoffs last season. And I think that, you know, we've at least seen the first two part yep. two parts hits well so far. The third part still work in progress, but it's very early in the season. So yeah, consider them legitimate contenders, but they're not the runaway favorite. Yeah, it makes sense. And I like that analysis. Um, I also like the breakdown of internal, external, you know, like health, they can't do shit about. I mean, you know, you, you measure it, you're not, you don't play CP3 48 minutes a night. I mean, you do the things you need to do to load manage, but you can't control that. The internal things, the things they can control so far, so good. Um, with the exception of Wiggins, but conversational topic for another time. Uh, Mark, all right. I got the judgment theater for us. Yeah. It's our only golden question. And I'm just going to paraphrase it. Cause I'm keeping it a little bit long here. The, the listener wrote in and asked if you are watching a game, you don't care about, you know, but you're in the room with someone who really does they're, they're rooting for a team. It means the world to them. What's your personality type. Do you root with that person? Do you not care at all? You know, it's just whatever entertainment on there, or do you root against their team while you're in the room. All right. So go with me. And I've had this circumstance happened. Uh, I don't know, a thousand times I'm in the room. I'm with a friend considered a good friend. We're watching the same game. They're very obviously rooting for a team. I have no dog in the fight. What's my move. Your move is pro warriors all the time. Uh, and I would, so with that, if the warriors are playing, no doubt you're going all out with cheering and, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll give you I'll give you a concrete scenario. All right. Uh, the Rugby World Cup recently happened. I know that I don't give a shit about rugby. I know that only because I was with a good friend watching with him. You're rooting, really against, you're rooting against whoever that fan wants to happen. You're the contrarian. <laughs> you are a thousand percent right. A thousand percent <laughs> right. I am. So like I literally I have a nickname amongst my friends. I've shared on this uh, podcast before. I am the hater. It is very, very well earned. I don't know why. I don't, there's no upside. I should be like, these are people I care about, man. Like my friends mean a lot to me, but as long as it's a no stake setting, to be fair, for, for example, that, that rugby thing, when I first sat down, I was, I was absolutely rooting against his team. And then like somewhere along the line, um, it, it became clear how much it meant to him, like way over the top. This is going to really impact his fucking emotional happiness. And then I flipped. I'm not that much of an asshole. You know, I flipped over to not caring. I didn't start rooting for his team, but I wasn't actively rooting against him. So like my, you know, my, my baseline is being an asshole and rooting against, but I've got like some emotional vulnerability. I'm willing to change that, you know, at least a little bit. Yeah. I've changed when I was a kid. Don't um, tell me, wait, are you going to tell me about you? Cause I want to guess if Doug, my guess on you, although it sounds like you've changed, my guess on you, a hundred percent, 
you are one of the genuinely nice dudes I know. You seemingly like are very supportive. I would assume you'd go in there, take an emotional temperature, and then just support. You know, like you wouldn't really care. But like, you know, you'd give you a couple fist pumps, maybe a little high five to the dude. You know, if it's a football game, they score a touchdown, maybe give them like a little, a little like uh, slight encouragement. So I think you do, you root for them. What's the answer? Um, it depends on the person. If uh well, so when I was a kid, if it was someone who had, you know, mutual fandom, like go all out, but I would play the contrarian too, just to needle them. Now that I'm an adult, and because I think it's more of what my career is. I, I got no stakes. I could, uh, I still love basketball, but I root for like competitive games, storylines. And because you watch so many of these games for like quote unquote homework, like the, the having the rooting interest, like you're just so apathetic about it. So uh, it's two things. I, I'm not, I'm not rooting against for or against it's just whatever. But so what happens is if I'm watching a game with someone that's a stranger and they think because you're a sports writer, you cover the Lakers for a bit or the Warriors for a bit, and they think that I'm emotionally invested, I almost take offense to that as someone who's in our field because one of the things that I prided myself on is not giving a shit. And so I would overly explain how much I don't care who wins or not. Uh, but if they don't go down that lane, I just play neutral and just have fun with it. I mean, what example number 5,855,000 that you're a slightly better person than me. I say slightly. <laughs> I mean, you know, like I, mean, I wouldn't go way over the top. I'll also give you this compliment. I have had conservatively speaking, 50 people tell me I remain neutral while I cover the team. Um, you know, I'm from different contexts, different places. There's maybe three, I believe you're at the top of that list. I, I, gen, I think you actually are able to stay neutral in a position where people say they do, but I don't think they do. So, you know, take, take that for what it's worth. I think we both know I would not be neutral at all. I'd be like in the press conference or in the press room, like throwing shit, being hell of upset, <laughs> dude, um, at the risk of boring you and making this go too late the game against OKC that ends in the Steph make with 0.2 seconds left, right? But at first they waved it off. I watched that game by myself at a swim club randomly. It's just one where if I can remember, I'm just out there, I'm watching it on a computer and I may or may not have been drinking by myself. I choose not to share that uh, in particular detail. I took them waving off that basket so hard the people who worked at the club had to come outside and check in on me. Like they literally were like, is everything okay, sir? I was like, you need to get the fuck out of here. Like, this is awful. So I wouldn't be super good with keeping my neutrality, but you know, to no one's surprise. Yeah. That does not, that does not sound surprising whatsoever hearing that from you. What's funny about that uh, play in particular, when I saw it live, um, well, when I saw like the playback of it, but the first time, I thought that uh, it was offensive interference and that the call should be waved off. But then I was wrong. And when I watched it a second time, it only took me one other time to see it. I didn't need this lengthy review like the officials did. I knew, yeah, basket's good. Warriors walk out with a dub. Yeah, well. Well, everyone at the Oakland Hills Tennis Club also thought the same thing after some screaming by me. Mark, I look forward to today. I've been looking forward to this for a couple of weeks and absolutely met all my expectations. I love our episodes. I really appreciate you 
for people who are listening and feel the exact same way, where do they get more Medina in their life? Well, forgive me in advance because it might sound like a Wikipedia entry, but that's just the nature of uh, my work these days. But yeah, multiple channels. Let's start on the writing end. We got Sports Kita, Sports Not, Sporting Tribune, Bavada, and The Messenger. Uh, on TV, we got Spectrum Sportsnet in Los Angeles, and we got CBS LA with Jim Hill. And on the radio side, any uh, any Fox Sports radio show nationally, you can hear me on. And the huddle constantly. I'll let you know I'm a little upset you don't have any huddle gear on today. We got to get you a new sweatshirt. I'm going to send you a new shirt uh, in the next week or so and and revitalize that huddle connection. And uh, yeah, thank you, Mark. Uh, for us, you know where to go. And if we're on social media, type in Warriors Huddle. It'll give you some instructions on where to find us. With that in mind, go Warriors. Hopefully, see you real soon. Good, good. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.